Now that is a wonderful, wonderful hymn. I did not know the history behind that hymn. Now I do. Wow, what an accident-prone fellow. But even then, faith is the victory. I invite you to open your Bible to Philippians chapter 4. God willing, we're going to finish the chapter tonight. And we'll be finished this amazing little four-chapter book. And so we come to the last of these messages on the book of Philippians. And if you ask me, it certainly has been an amazing journey. We've learned a lot of amazing things in this. And... Um, there's a lot of really good preaching in these remaining verses, but we'll only touch on the nuggets of truth as we finish up the chapter. And so once again, let's bow for prayer, and then we'll get into the Word of God tonight. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we give you praise and thanks and glory that we have a Bible, not part of a Bible, or almost all the Bible, we have all of the revelation of God here tonight with us. We thank you for it. Truly, Lord, as we have sung, faith is the victory. Please increase our faith. You've promised us that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And tonight we will both read it and hear it being read. And we ask that you'd grow our faith. Father, we need strong faith these days. You've tasked us with the job of reaching the city and the world and that is going to, be re, uh, going to be done by faith. It's going to require a lot of faith. And so, Lord, help, help us never to think that we can't grow anymore. Help us never to fall for that lie so that we can always be growing in faith, conquering new territory for Christ. Help us and bless us, we pray, as we study and prepare our hearts for a season of prayer yet to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up in verse 10. And Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now Paul, as you know, was uh, an apostle, but he was also a missionary. And he was very dependent upon God for his every need. And the way that God has ordained these things to work generally is God meets the needs through the people of the churches that support the missionaries. And there were several churches that knew Paul, but yet not all of the churches chose to support him. And we're not sure why. The church at Philippi raised money for the Apostle Paul, but as it says here, he lacked opportunity in verse 10. They couldn't find him. They sent to his needs before, and they met his needs before, but this time they couldn't find him. The reason being is because for about two years he was in prison. He'd been taken and jailed in a Roman prison. And so they lacked opportunity. Verse 11 he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And folks, there is an important lesson for every one of us is contentment. If we could learn to be content with what we have, we could do so much more for the Lord. We could, I believe, do so much more through our homes and families, 
through our friends. We could do so much more. But the, the discontentment, it captures our minds. It eats up our, our waking hours. And sometimes it destroys a good night's rest. Paul, in writing to Timothy, wrote about this very same important lesson. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, he wrote, But godliness with contentment is great gain. As you know, Timothy was a full-time servant of the Lord. He was an understudy of the Apostle Paul, and Paul loved him with a fatherly love. Now this business about contentment, it's true for missionaries. It's true for all Christians. There's not a Christian on the face of God's green earth that doesn't need this lesson on contentment. You see, the devil often gets us right there. It doesn't matter what nation or culture or language that you're born and raised in or you find yourself in. Discontentment is a trick of the devil. It's worldwide. Whether you live in the most developed country or the most underdeveloped country, discontentment is something that the devil, it's a tool. It's a weakness in our, our, our human DNA and he can see it. He knows it and he takes advantage of it. And he's very good at it. Paul here was not moaning and groaning about his uh, situation. He wasn't complaining about his needs and so on. The truth is, he knew that God would supply his needs. He had perfect peace that God would do that. Um, we'll say more on that in just a moment. Verse 12. He goes on now on the coattails of this great truth in verse 11. And he says in verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer needs. And to suffer need. Now I'd like to suggest to you that it's the successful Christian who can go through life on both sides of the street, who knows something about having needs and something about having plenty. It's the successful Christian who can go through life and know how to deal with whatever side of the street he should happen to wake up on. Now, we can't say that about all Christians today. Um... Also, we may as well say that it isn't just the Christians that have needs that uh, are discontent. Because we make that mistake and we say, well, those Christians over there, they don't have much. And so they struggle with discontentment. Well, they may, but I'll tell you something. Uh, Christians that have all their heart's desire may not struggle with discontentment, but they have other struggles. You see... It's an art, a skill to be learned how to live with little and how to live with much. We've all heard stories of people that have come into vast wealth and it destroyed them. They didn't know how to handle it. They went on spending sprees. They bought the most expensive of everything they could find. And then many of them, of course, started dabbling with alcohol, drugs, uh, prostitutes, things like that. One man that I read about a number of years ago, he, he overnight became one of Britain's most wealthy men by winning this incredibly huge lotto. And within just a, a scant three years, maybe four, he blew it all. It was all gone. 
all of it. And he was back to a general laborer. I think he was working on the end of a garbage truck or something like that. And they interviewed him. And he says, you know what? I don't care. I had a good time. That's all I care about. And now for the rest of his life, he's a has-been. You know, it takes skill. When you get a pay raise, it requires skill. It requires character. It requires discipline. Otherwise, you take all that money and, and you go and blow it. And this is a, a problem that we, we face as Christians. God blesses us with some kind of little windfall, maybe a, a pay raise, maybe it's a tax return, maybe it's a small inheritance or something. And the first thing on our mind is, what can I spend the money on? What can I buy? What can I do with this money? Instead of going to God and saying, God, you've entrusted me with, with this amount of money. What do you want me to do with it? How should I then live? I'm sure that um, many of the shopping sprees we go on have, have uh, never been bathed in prayer. I think we just do them. And that's where the devil gets us. You know, once someone gets used to having a bunch of money, and then all of a sudden it's, it's gone, it's taken away, they really struggle. They really, really struggle. When someone gives you something, there's a story of a man who heard a knock at the door. And he opens the door and there's a stranger standing there. And the stranger says, you don't know me, but I am a fabulously wealthy man. And I've been watching you for some time and I like what I see. And I'm going to reward that. And he reaches into his pocket and he takes out a crisp $100 bill. And he gives it to the man. The man is dumbfounded. He's shocked. His eyes can't believe what they're seeing. And he's holding this $100 and he says, I don't understand it. What, what's the gimmick? The man said, there's no gimmick. Do I have to pay it back? You don't have to pay it back. What am I supposed to use it for? Anything you want to use it for. And with that, the stranger turned and walked away. And the man thought, I can't believe it. A hundred dollars, just like that. And he held it up to the light, you know, and snapped the bill, tried to make sure it's real. The next day, there was a knock at the door. There's the stranger again. And he said, hello, friend. Here's your second installment. And he gave him another hundred dollar bill. <gasps> well, the guy again was just beside himself with joy. And that happened the third day and the fourth day, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Every day around the same time, the man thought, my millionaire friend is going to be here soon. He could hardly wait. There was another knock on the door, another hundred dollar bill. The 17th day, the same, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 days in a row, $100 each. 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 days in a row, $100 each day. He thought, man, I've struck it rich. This is great. This is unbelievable. Wow, I can't believe my good fortune. I just made $3,000. He said, hallelujah. And so the next day was the first day of the month. And it was about time for his millionaire friend to show up. And he's watching and he's looking out the window and, you know, the, the minute hand is going past the hour and he's wondering, where's, where's, my, where's my friend? And as he's looking out the window, he sees his millionaire friend across the street at the neighbor. And he watches and the neighbor's making all these gestures and the millionaire friend reaches in his pocket and takes out a $100 bill and gives it to his, his neighbor. Right away, the guy thought, that's my $100. That's my $100. He's giving that no good neighbor of mine 
my hundred dollars. Well, he was fit to be tied. You know, it's funny how we are as humans sometimes. And you know, God gives to us every day health and food and reliable transportation and family and friends and a sound mind and a cash flow. And he gives these things to us. What would ever happen if one day he didn't give them? Would we shake our fist at God and say, where is my cash flow? Where is my health? Where's my... You fill in the blank. I wonder if we'd ever do anything like that. There is an art to be learned. It's a skill, if you will. Both how to be abased and how to abound. You and I need to learn that. We have to learn how to handle no money and we need to learn how to handle money. Because if we don't learn this skill, I think the devil's going to get us and uh, we become uh, easy prey for Satan. So, now he follows up this truth in verse 12 with verse 13. Now, many Christians will take this verse right out of the context. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And some people will think they can do crazy things like walk across the water or jump off the roof and flap their arms and expect to fly. God, I'm taking you at your word all the way down to the ground. Pow! And then they say, the Bible's no good. The promises don't work. And we say foolish things like that. No, I suggest to you this. I can do all things that God wants me to do. I can do everything that God wants me to do through Christ, which strengtheneth me. And if God wants me to go to church, I can do it, even if it's raining out, even if I have a flat tire. If God wants me to faithfully support missionary work, I can do it, even though it may not look like I can do it. I can do all things. I read an interesting illustration about a train on a track going from one city to another. And as long as that train was on the track, it could pull all the weight it wants. It could successfully get from point A to point B. It could do everything it was supposed to do as long as it stayed on the tracks. But the moment that train gets off the tracks, now all of a sudden is disaster city. And that's exactly like you and I. As long as we stay on the tracks of God's will, as long as we keep reading and keep praying, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? What is your will for my life? As long as we keep praying, seeking, asking, knocking, finding the will of God and doing the will of God, nothing can hold us back. That is what that promise means. That we can do all things, all of the things God wants us to do. If God wants us to be abased, we can do that. If he wants us to go through times of of abundance without being destroyed mentally, morally, ethically, we can do that. We can do anything that God would have us to do. If I were to ask you, have you ever gone through a hard time? You'd probably say, sure, I have. Have you gone through a hard time physically? You'd probably say, sure. Have you gone through a hard time financially? You'd probably say, sure. Now, those are not pleasant 
things to go through. It's not something that we, you know, get all excited about, usually. But the thing is, if we're walking hand in hand with the Lord, if all of a sudden the bottom drops out of our life and we lose our job or we lose our health or you wake up at two in the morning on a Friday and your knee is feeling like it's going to explode right off your leg and you've got to go to the hospital. Well, we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. The strength, the grace, the power. And Paul alludes to that again near the end of the chapter. But this, this wonderful, wonderful uh, Lord Jesus that we know and His power and His strength and His grace is more than sufficient. And so then we get in verse 14 and He sort of comes back to um, what they've done for Him because they've sent to Him monetary gift to help support him and look after him pay for some of his needs verse 14 notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction and he was really in an um, in a rough place in life being in a roman prison and he says you you've done this very well and i i, I believe that with all my heart i believe it literally that when a church supports its missionaries with prayer and money. It does well. When Christians within the church support the missionaries with prayer and money, they individually have done well. And when we do well in God's eyes, God is pleased and God always blesses that back. Now just take a peek, would you please, at verse 18. We'll get to verse 18 in a moment, but take a quick look here. But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus. Remember, that was the pastor of the church at Philippi. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, and look how he describes it, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Well-pleasing to God. Absolutely 100%. When we support our missionaries with prayer and with finance, it is exactly this. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. This is really interesting here. We can please our Heavenly Father. We may wonder at sometimes, Lord, how can I please you? How can I make you happy? There's one way right there. Is by praying for our missionaries and supporting them with our financial uh, dollars. Now we just took on the support of three more missionaries. Two of those missionaries have been chosen, selected, adopted if you will. But we still have one missionary that's not adopted yet. Over here on this side here. And we need to get this missionary chosen, selected, elected if you will, adopted by someone in the church. So that they can get prayed for every day. I have my missionary, my little adoption book. I have that down in my prayer closet. When I go downstairs and I sit down at the the desk, there's my missionary looking at me. How can I forget to pray for my missionary when he meets me in the prayer closet? Hooray for the prayer closet. Verse 15. Now, ye Philippians know also that... This is an amazing verse. 
what we're about to read here is actually quite something. Ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And so here's Paul on his second, on his second missionary journey. That's when he, he got into Philippi. That's when he went, won souls to Christ. He won Lydia, the seller of purple. He won the, the jailer in uh, Acts chapter 16. Remember that? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? <gasps> Tremendous missionary story. Paul was there. He led these people to Christ. He started the church. And then he moved on. And he said, when I departed from Macedonia, that area where Philippi was, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. And, and this is a real feather in their cap. Because when Paul left Philippi, he also, there was churches behind him, behind Philippi, but there were churches ahead that he was going to start. He went to Apollonia. He went to Thessalonica. He went to Berea. He went to Athens. He went to Corinth. And he won souls and got churches started. But for some reason, the only church that had the good sense to support the missionary was the church at Philippi. Isn't that amazing? You, you sort of wonder. Maybe, we're only speculating, but maybe some of the Christians or some of the churches never even thought to support the missionary. Maybe some of them thought about supporting him, but they thought, no, now is not the right time because, you know, things aren't go going so well financially and economics worldwide, we never know. Got to put a little aside for a rainy day. Can't be uh, too careful here. And so we'll just wait until better times come. And then when better times come, maybe then we can support the missionary. That's a mistake. This is a real feather in their cap. The people in other churches missed out on the blessing. Philippi, the church at Philippi, really showed their love to the apostle by sending him the money. And Paul even further confirms this in the next verse. Look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, this is after he left Philippi, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Here I'd like to remind you something. God never fails. That's the little title of our section tonight. God never fails. That's good to know, folks. Say it with me. God never fails. Fails. If you forget everything else tonight, don't forget those three words. One more time, say them with me. God never fails. And I think everyone here has some testimony to that, where you were in a, a tough situation, but you got out of it somehow. Maybe you prayed and all of a sudden, or maybe it was slowly, but you got out of it. Hey, how about that? You lived Another day. You live to tell about it. Why? Because God never fails. And we find that when we keep the train on the tracks, we can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. We can do it. And so, God never fails. If the Philippian church, you say now, what would have happened then to Paul if the church at Philippi decided they weren't going to support missions anymore. What would have happened? 
to Paul. Oh, he would have died, right? He would have, he would have shriveled up. He would have starved to death. Something bad would have happened, right? No, not at all. Because Paul was still God's man, just like every good missionary, every God-called missionary is God's man on the field. And God is not going to let the missionary die and starve. God is going to meet the needs. And if one church refuses to get involved, God will raise up another church to do it. And there are so many churches across North America that are dropping and cutting their mission support. And that ought not ought to be. I know that things may be not as rosy and financially healthy as maybe they were once upon a time. But our God is greater. He is bigger. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Let the churches that cut their missionary support never sing that song. We have a great, big, wonderful God. A God who's always victorious, always watching over us. A great, big, wonderful God. And it's true, God meets needs. And the missionaries that are out there serving the Lord and being where we cannot be, they're going on our part. And there's 74 of them that we support right now. If we refuse to support them, well, we'll miss out on the blessing and God will raise up some other church to take over. That's what happens. And I've, I, I have personal first-hand experience of that. A little of it. But I've talked to many missionaries that have had a lot more first-hand experience of that. They raise their support. They get out on the mission field. Within the first year, this church drops them. That church drops them. And then they have to come back on furlough and they've got to spend a bunch of time going around and trying to raise their support again. And it's like a, a merry-go-round. Praise the Lord for the churches that don't drop the support of their missionaries. Now, I, I hasten to say it has happened where a good missionary has gone bad. And when something like that happens, then you've got to do what you've got to do. I know there's been once or twice in our history where we've had to uh, cut back on the regular monthly amount that we give our missionaries for a short period of time, but we've never dropped any missionaries. Never. And then God continued to bless and we made that up again and away we went. So this is very important, folks. If the Philippian church decided that they didn't want to support the Apostle Paul anymore, God would have raised up another church and would have supported them. But the other church would get the blessings. And we're going to see that in just a minute. So verse 17, he hastens to say these words, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now understand something very clearly. The Apostle Paul was not anything like these modern day faith healers and prosperity preachers. They're always moaning and groaning that their jet airplane is too old. They need a new jet airplane to fly around in. Their mansion that they live in, the multi-million dollar mansion, is uh, too small for them and they need a bigger multi-multi-million dollar mansion. And of course, so many people just blindly throw money at them. And that's how these people get rich. They're always looking for gifts of money. Paul said, not because I desire a gift, and yet there are so many today that use religion as 
as a cloak. They're hypocrites. They're in it for the money. And they can say words that make them sound like they're saved. They can even preach a sermon that doesn't sound half bad. But the bottom line is, boy, they're dogs. They're goats. They're not sheep. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They're not God's children. They're the children of the devil. And they want to maintain their wealthy lifestyle and they'll say anything and do anything to get people's money. And Paul wasn't like that. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. Paul was wanting the people at the Philippi church to get more blessings from God. In verse 18, he says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. I am so thankful every single day for our church and the faith of our church people to support as many missionaries as we do. Are we done yet? We're not done until Jesus calls us home. We keep growing until we hear the trumpet. And so that's why we're praying for six more missionaries to reach 80. Say, well, are we done then? No, we're not done until Jesus calls us home. We're working toward our first hundred missionaries. Say, why do we want a hundred? Because you can do more in the world with the gospel with a hundred missionaries than you can with ten. It's just simple mathematics. And after the Lord enables us to support a hundred missionaries, we're going to look for 101. And then after that, we'll look for 102. And we'll keep growing and growing. And by the way, I throw this out. Some of our missionaries have left the field. This year alone, I think there's been five missionaries that have left the field. Wow. For various reasons, they seem to be legitimate reasons, but it means five less missionaries there are around the world. We've got to make that up somehow. I've noticed something. You know, in the short few years that I've been saved, there are less and less missionaries going out to the foreign field. There are fewer and fewer young people going into Bible college and more and more young people going off to seek their fame and fortune. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? We must be in the end times. I think it behooves us to do everything we possibly can for our Lord Jesus Christ because before you know it, the trumpet will sound. He'll call us up to be with Him. And then some of us will groan and moan and wish we had done more for the Savior while here on earth. So, once again here in verse 18, He confirms to them that He's well and He's all looked after. And of course, this makes God well pleased. You know that in a local church, it's a good thing when the people look after their pastor. That's a good thing. It pleases God. Well, I'd like to suggest to you that it's probably even more pleasing to God when the church looks after those men and women who give their lives, leaving home and comforts and family, and they go sometimes halfway around the world to very difficult nations and circumstances, and some of them have to work kind of under the radar to try to win souls to Christ. I think it pleases God even more when we look after those wonderful missionaries. So now we come to verse 19, perhaps one of the more famous Bible verses 
But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now please note, this promise was given to church people who put a priority on supporting the missionary. They did. They were excited to be able to do it. They prayed for the apostle and they supported him with their funds. They certainly gave by faith, not by sight. They gave by faith and the promise of God is to bless it back. Our church is almost 20 years old. We got involved with Faith Promise Missions shortly after our church started. And we began taking on our first few missionaries. Then we took on a few more missionaries and each time God blessed. We got up to about 12 missionaries and we seemed to hit a ceiling. We couldn't get any further. And I was wondering what to do and praying much about it. And God got me together with Pastor Storrs. You remember Pastor Storrs? How many remember Pastor Storrs? A few of us. Okay. He's still alive. He's um, in his late 70s and his health is really failing. But Pastor Storrs is one of those rare and unique individuals. A man who really had a heart for God. Walked with God. And he knew. Well, I tell, let me put it this way. The old saying, he's forgotten more about missions than I've ever learned. He is such an incredible deep well of wisdom. And I got in touch with him and he was more than willing to come and help us. And we were in the old building over here and boom, we broke through. And then we did it again the following year and the following year we have not looked back and we've gone from 12 to 74 missionaries now. And God has been opening to us, to our church, the windows of heaven. We're in these fantastic facilities because we've shown ourselves faithful to God and God has blessed it back to us. Say, Pastor, how do we know that? Because God has promised it. That's how. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all it shall, shall it be it shall be measured to you again. This isn't just for a church as a corporate body. This is for individuals within the church. I've heard so many stories over the years of Christians who've given by faith and then God blessed it back to them. They gave a hundred for something and God blessed them with 200 out of the blue. That's a hundred percent interest return on your money. How many financial institutions can you get that out of? Try the bank. Go into the bank and ask if you can get a 100% return on your money. They'll look at you and they'll say, the only 100% you'll get, bud, is if you take it all back. We promise to give you all your money back. There's your 100%. How's that? Not with God. When we give to God, it indebts him. And he is no man's debtor. And he gives back. In Proverbs 19, verse 17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. 
Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not uh, open, un- open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God's word never fails, because God never fails. That's the title of tonight's message. God never fails. And when we take God at his word, we're getting the train on the tracks, and we can do anything he wants us to, all things we can do through Christ who strengthens us. I'll tell you what, there's nothing we cannot do. Nothing. Lately, we've been talking about getting into our own building, haven't we? For the last two or three weeks. There's a building for sale up on 104. That is so far, humanly speaking, so far beyond what we could do. It is so far, it's not even funny. And that's why we're interested in it. It's because it's going to require a miracle. And so, we're looking at each other and we're saying, we have to do our part. Let's do something we've never done before. Let's raise a million dollars. These days, a million dollars doesn't go all that far, does it? Not like the old days. A million dollars, you could buy the land and have the great big building and the parking lot paved and not anymore. A million dollars doesn't go too far. But it's something we've never done. We've raised smaller amounts. Yes, we have. But we've never done a million dollars. How are we going to do it? By faith. By faith. Every one of us needs to go to God and say, God, please use me. Use me. Now, I've told you that my wife and I... Um, no, I didn't tell you. I told you that I was asking God for 10000 I'm asking God for 10000 so I can give it back to Him. God, if you give me $10,000, i will put it in your building fund for a building for you. That's how I'm praying. And then... Um, was that this morning or yesterday morning? Yesterday morning? Yeah, in the prayer closet. I'm on my face praying and I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's two of us. It's not just me, but there's me and my wife. There's two of us. God, please give my wife $10,000. Give me 10000 give her 10000 There's $20,000. we will put that into the, the building fund for you. So I told my wife about it. She got excited. So now she's praying for $10,000 out of the blue. If God happens to give 10500 we won't mind. We'll still give God his 10000 Anyone, any Christian, can go to God and pray that prayer. God, would you please, out of the blue, give me $10,000 so I can give it to you. Now you might say, well, Pastor, what good is $10,000 going to do? We're talking a million. Well, my friend, all we need is 100 people to pray that prayer. All we need is 100 people. You know, we had 219 people in church last Sunday morning. I think we have enough people. Yeah, but some of them are just young. Are they saved? Oh, yeah, but they have access to God? Sure, but they can pray. Every single one of us here tonight can pray, Lord, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know when, but would you do a miracle? Lord, would you somehow bring $10,000 to me? 
and I'll put that into the building fund. Now that's money that you would never have. It would never come your way except God gave it to you and he's trusting you to put it into the building fund. He may give you 11,000, keep 1,000, put 10 in. But give God the 10 you pray for. Don't do an Ananias and Sapphira. God, give me 10,000, I'll give it to you. So God gives you 10,000, you say, I'm going to give five. I'm going to tell everyone that God, I asked for 10, but God gave me five. I'm going to put in the five. I'll tell you what will happen. That other five will go to pay for your funeral. If you've ever read the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira. No, no, no. You asked for 10, God gave you 10. You put in the 10. Every one of us is able to do that. That's pretty exciting if you ask me. We serve a God who's that big. So I'm suggesting here that we, hey, God never fails. Let's do something great for God. Now we have to finish up here. Paul finishes up the letter with a few appropriate remarks. Verse 20, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now this is what it's all about, folks, is the glory of God. That's the end result, the bottom line, the glory of God. We win souls for the glory of God. We baptize them for the glory of God. We add them to the church membership for the glory of God. We train them and teach them how to overcome sin in the world and the flesh and the devil for the glory of God. We get them involved in Christian activity and service for the glory of God. God calls some to full-time service. We train them over a period of four years and then a couple of years after that. And then after that, we help them get into full-time ministries. Why? For the glory of God. We start churches. Why? For the glory of God. We want bigger buildings. Why? For the glory of God. Here in this city, we got 600,000 people we got to reach. We're not going to do that with a little building that holds four people. We're going to need a bigger boat is what we're going to need. We're going to need a bigger boat. I think that's off a movie. It's all about the glory of God. And the absolute only way to bring about the glory of God is if it's His will being done. Because my will, your will, it just doesn't cut it. It fails every time. But if it's God's will, it works. And so let's make God's will our will, and then it'll work. We can bring glory to God. That's what it's all about. And Paul has given us this sort of in formula form in the book of Philippians. Chapter 1 was the philosophy of Christian living. Chapter 2 was the pattern for Christian living. Chapter 3 was the prize for Christian living. And chapter 4 is the power for Christian living. And so in capsule form, we have it there. Lastly, verses 21-22, Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. It's vital, vital, vital that we remember and never forget the heavenly relationship we share with other saved people, especially those within our own local church. All you got to do is look at verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, I beseech Yodius and beseech Syneche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Remember those two ladies, good ladies, wonderful ladies, but they got into a fight in the church. So it's important that we look upon one another carefully and properly as brother and sister. Very important we do that. Verse 23, 
Finally, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's an excellent finish to an exceptional letter. The grace of Jesus Christ is our all-sufficiency. It enables us to go through anything, to endure anything, to overcome anything, to raise a million dollars even, to do the will of God. It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Something that you and I need to pray for every single day. Well, it's time now to look to the Lord in prayer.